This is the Living Rotazano podcast brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today continues on in Malachi 3, 6 through 12. In this passage, we are confronted yet again with a message on covenant unfaithfulness. This time, it pertains to their tithes and offerings. Together, we discuss how the floodgates of heaven are opened by obedient and generous hearts. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you again this week to continue our journey through Malachi. Um, We're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12 today. Uh, And as a quick reminder from our episode last week, uh, we looked at Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5 where Malachi continued to address Israel's covenant unfaithfulness, uh, this time looking uh, specifically at injustice towards others. And together we discussed our call to promote justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Um, and I guess with that, this is just a, a reminder that that's this has kind of been a theme now for a, a couple of weeks as we've been working through Malachi. First, covenant unfaithfulness, uh, specifically speaking about divorce and then covenant unfaithfulness, speaking about injustice towards others. And we're going to kind of see that played out even in today's episode as we move forward. So we're going to continue this conversation that we started uh, this this past Sunday on Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Um, and in this passage, we're confronted again with covenant unfaithfulness, but this time as it pertains to their tithes and offerings. And so I believe today we have Derek reading for us. So Derek, would you read Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12? Yes. So verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will be called ble- will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. All right, thank you for reading that for us, Derek. Um, let's uh, let's jump into our conversation. What are you guys seeing? What are your thoughts, observations? What do we got? So right at the beginning, I guess I'm caught by this this phrase that says, I, the Lord, do not change. And I guess I read it as a reminder of this promise that God is consistent despite our unfaithfulness, whether we're unfaithful, whether we're faithful, God is always faithful. He does not change. He is consistent 
um, it's us. It's us that has this unfaithfulness, faithfulness, unfaithfulness cycle going on. And that's evidence throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. We see this picture again and again and again, where God extends opportunity for covenant relationship and the the people of Israel, they miss it and they mess up. And then God re-extends uh, covenant relationship and they accept and they, they, um, they repent. And then that is shortly followed up again by unfaithfulness. And then God comes to them again and re-extends this covenant relationship. And so despite our unfaithfulness throughout human history, and we could continue this into modern day, but despite our unfaithfulness as humanity, God does not change. He is consistent. He is faithful. And, and we can count on that promise. Yeah. I mean, even, even in this specific passage here, just what the next verse, verse seven, uh, God goes in and paints the picture of their unfaithfulness, right? Like ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away. Um, from my decrees and have not kept them. And, and like, I guess as you were talking, the thing that went through my mind is I remember, um, a number of years back when we were doing a, a series in the youth room, uh, and we were talking about the judges. I, we were working through judges. I think it was a during biblical hot seat actually. And we had a bunch of the judges on, on the hot seat and we're interviewing them and getting to know them. And, as a result of us getting to know all the different judges as a part of it, we were seeing the cycle that Israel was going through, right? Like you would have uh, Israel existing just fine. And then you'd see them fall into um, disobedience. And then you would see them being subjected to the people around them. And you would see them then crying out to God. And then you would see God raise up a, a judge and that judge would bring about restoration. And then you would see them like praising God and faithfulness, like being restored. And then they would forget and they would just fall back off. And it was just this constant cycle that existed. And it, it's like the, the, the Israelites changed constantly. Like they were just constantly changing, uh, depending on the circumstances around them. But God was constant. Like he would constantly send somebody to bail them out when they recognized what they were doing. And he was there for them. In those instances, it's, it's a generational kind of cycle. And I feel like when I'm thinking about that in my own life, it's, it's not always generational. Like I go through these cycles and seasons right. in my own life where God is so faithful and he does this miraculous, incredible thing that should not be possible, but for his hand and his involvement in it. And then, you know, a couple years later, maybe it's a couple months later, I'm facing something that's similar in nature, but this time somehow this thing is going to be different. Um, because I know God did his thing last time, but this is a new thing. And do I believe that God will do what I know he is capable of in this new situation, in this new right. circumstance. And the reality is he is faithful and he does not change. And that promise should remain consistent. And so I shouldn't have doubt in his, his this, this aspect of his character that he is faithful and consistent. And it, it feels like a, a call to repentance. 
Um, you know, as, as he talked about turning and then Malachi goes on to say, return to me. And so I feel this, this hopeful call of repenting, you know, I, I know that you've turned away, but as you said, like he's consistent, he's faithful, and he is giving them an opportunity in the midst of all of the, the reasons that he could justly judge them and punish them for what they've done. His heart is not that. He is still desiring to restore and reconcile this relationship that has been and that will continue on. And so his desire in the midst of their blatant rebellion is to offer, you know, offer a handout to to help lift them up and to raise them up to where they're called to be. Yeah, that's so good. I think that God, we can count on him to continue to offer the restoration. That's, that's why we can sing songs about his pursuit of us. Um, even in our broken places, he's, he's constantly looking to restore relationship. And in this particular instance, as you talked about, he's asking them to return, Hey, let's restore this. And specifically one of the ways that they can do this is to stop robbing him, to stop withholding portions of their self or their blessing or their provision that they know to be God's. Well, and I mean, the, the way that they have lived to this point would show like their, how they have forgotten him because everything that they're trying to do, like they seem to be hitting walls, like they have enough to eat, but it could be so much more like they have enough oil, but it could be so much more like they have all these things that they need. Like God is not withholding what they need, but they're, they're like hitting walls on where they could be because they're not giving all they're giving what's comfortable, but it's like God's asking like to push past the comfort to a a potential uncomfortable place. And he goes even so far as to say to test him in this. And so he's like, there's this opportunity to push past their comfortability to, to see what God can do and how faithful God is as if like they shouldn't already know this um, coming, like, you know, we talked about coming out of exile, like what was that around 90 years ago or a little longer than that. And so like, he's already done these amazing things and it's, it's so quick. We're so quick to forget what God's done. And so he's just calling him to that. I think it's interesting that he does challenge them to test him in this because we know that having just come from a study on Matthew, we know that Jesus, when he's being tempted in the desert, um, by Satan, he responds to Satan saying, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. And so this is a unique offering like or, or opportunity to test God in his faithfulness, to test God in his provision. If you be faithful with what I have given, watch and see how much more faithful I will continue to be. Yeah, I think um, when you frame it like that, I think there maybe there's a slight difference in the testing. Um, like if we think of the Matthew example, Satan tempts Jesus to force God's hand, right? Like to like, Hey, jump off this building and you won't strike your foot on a stone. So he's going to save you. And it's almost like 
moving outside of his plan to force him to move outside of his plan. Whereas this one, like God's plan is always to be faithful, to respond faithfully to those who are being faithful. And in this particular passage, like that's what his call to them is, is be faithful to me and see that I'm not faithful to you. Like that you can test me in that. Like, because, because this is in line with who I am. This is not you trying to take me beyond something that I already am for you. This is, this is me being able to show you exactly who I am, which is the God who never changes, who has always been here. When we made that covenant years and years and years and years ago with your ancestors, I'm the same God that I was then, even now, and you can test me on that. Live into these, live into these covenantal, like, expectations and see that I don't also live into those covenantal expectations. It's like, it's like God is saying, test yourself. Like, are you willing Wait. to be faithful? And then I'm going to show Wait. you my faithfulness. It's pushing them outside of their comfort zone. Like they're, they must have been like giving where it was comfortable. Like what other reason would you not give all? Because it's like, I've got like I don't know like I've got ten denarii, but I I only I I don't want to give a full I don't want to give a full day's wage, even though that's what I have to give because I need it for X Y and Z. So I feel like it's just pushing them. The problem is it doesn't feel like we we help people to understand that they need to be pushed into that comfort zone. I'm not saying like we collectively, but like. Like in our generation, we're not good at like helping people push like beyond what's comfortable. Well, our culture is set up in such a structure that you are to be self-reliant, self-sustaining. We aren't a, we aren't a communal culture. Right. Um, and in fact, the church has kind of been at the forefront front of criticizing those who haven't like worked hard you know, who haven't tried to make their own way well, because a worker is worth his wage. Right. Right. And so, well, and so we, we've, we've majored on that component of it. And so because of that, we've, we've learned that we're self-sustaining and probably for that reason, we need this discipline of tithing finances probably more than any other people group before us, because we don't understand what it is to rely on God day by day, most of us for our every need. And if you've not had that opportunity, then I feel like you miss an aspect of God's faithfulness that he wants to reveal to you. He says, test me in this and watch. Um, and so I think that there's an important, an important opportunity in trusting God to that point, um, where you aren't in control. You don't have control and he's your only option. If he doesn't come through, then, well, you're in trouble, you know, and we, we just don't, we don't think that way. We don't have that mentality because we have this, this responsibility that we feel like we have to be in control and we have to provide and we have to take care of our needs first and so on and so forth. So I guess what I hear you saying is it's almost like we need to find ourselves living by the even know if this is a real thing, but the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego like principle where it's like, my God can deliver me. 
our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And so this, this recognition that my life is fully in God's hands and he will provide. And even if he doesn't, like he's still God and I still trust him. And I'm like, I'm still pursuing him with everything I am and I'm going to give him everything I am. I don't know why, but I feel like this conversation is a conversation that always seems to be one that comes up in our household, Natasha, um, just about finances in general. Like finances are, are constantly a conversation. And I think it's because, um, well, it, it's a control thing. We, we are both very, um, we, we appreciate being in control of a situation. Um, and when you have a family of six, finances are kind of a requirement for being in control of the situation of life. Um, and that said, like, I, I can think back and I, I'm not sure if we've ever really talked about this on the podcast or not. So if we have, um, I guess I'll share it again. But when I think back over our marriage, you know, when we first started out, we did not have a lot of means and we felt strongly and I would even give you the credit. You felt strongly that the one thing that was going to be done first with our finances was we were going to tithe. Like this is just what it was going to be. And it was an opportunity that we had because God had provided the stipend that you had gotten from, from grad school. And so we were going to honor him and glorify him by giving him the tithe and recognizing that it was all his. Uh, and so thank you. And here it is. And we did that. And I remember there were, um, there were times when it would have been very beneficial for us to not pay tithe one month or two months or eight months sometimes because we were falling short. Um, and it's like, we were, we were out, we were out of money and we were out of food in our cabinets. And it's like, what are we supposed to do? We should have not paid tithe and we could actually have filled our cabinets. But we, we were in this position where it was like, God had to, God had to show up and we were depending on him showing up. And every time he showed up and it, it wasn't that like all of a sudden our cabinets were overflowing, but we wouldn't have food and we'd be talking about, well, I'm not sure what we're going to do for dinner tonight. And then we would get a phone call and it would be somebody saying, Hey, we just, you know, had a, had a football party for the varsity football team. And, uh, we have a bunch of pizza left over and we don't really know what to do with it. Would you like some pizza? Uh, Yeah. And so we would live on pizza for a few days until we were able to get a new, uh, like some more money in, in the grocery budget. Um, other times people would come up to us and hand us gift cards or cash and say that God told me that I needed to get like, that you needed this more than I did. And this story can be repeated over and over and over again in so many different ways. And so I feel like, 
in the moments where we have turned to him, or I, I wouldn't say we returned to him because that was a, a decision we had made from day one that we were going to do it. When we turned to him and remained faithful in that, he showed himself as faithful over and over and over again. Now I say that because I, I think you, you said a little earlier, you know, we have these cycles like the Israelites had generational cycles, but we have these cycles that just are throughout our life and, and they happen you know, monthly, annually, whatever, daily. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I think that this conversation is always at the forefront. Not that I'm ever thinking, oh, we should not pay tithe because I would never think that. But I recognize that there are some times that I, I'm still trying to take control because I'm in my head, I'm thinking, but what if Jesus doesn't show up this time? What if he doesn't show up this time? So I need to have a contingency plan in place. And so I feel like there's maybe even a bigger conversation than just the bring our full tithe in action. But there's a, a, a conversation about a heart thing as well, where even when I'm paying the tithe, when my heart is still looking for contingencies and provisions on my own and taking control, maybe I'm still missing it. As, as though the tithing is really an act of surrender and dependence on God more than it is like a monetary gift that God somehow needs or his church needs or, and all those things are great, but really it's about me and making sure that I have oriented myself such that I am dependent on God for, in this, in this instance, my financial provision. So um, this idea of tithing is very foreign to those who are not familiar with the church. Um, I had the opportunity um, to work with some people. And at the time that we had had these conversations about my co-workers that I worked with were very curious about God and why my faith was so strong and like what we believed in and stuff. And at that time we were living, all five of us were living in a travel trailer. Five at that time. Yeah. Five at that time. Um, and during that time, I, you know, we had, I, you know, they know, had known that our desire was to buy a house and the conversation that we had around tithing was, you know, I was asked like, do you tithe? And yes, yes, I tithe. And there was a lot of misconceptions of, are you forced to tithe and that kind of stuff? And <laughs> did they get your W-2? Only so, in the church of the Nazarene. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do some clarification on stuff like that. But ultimately, um, my coworker just flat out told me, you know, you could probably buy a house if you didn't tithe. Mm. And, you know, Got, a, got upset with you yeah, because we were choosing to live in a travel trailer instead of a house. And, you know, that never even crossed my mind that we would not tithe because that's just something we had always done. And that was about five years ago. And since that time, and I, I truly believe that a lot of things in our life are related to us being obedient Mm -hmm. And through our obedience, God is faithful. And since then, we've been able to purchase not one house, 
but two houses. You know, God has... And they got to see that. They got to see God do some crazy things Mm -hmm. to get us there. And then not only did they get to see it, but they got to celebrate with us Mm -hmm. and celebrate, um, you know, moving into a rental house. And then when we bought our our house in Merced, they got to see that and celebrate that. So it gets a testament to what God did. And it's really cool that it's not like our obedience was not just for us, that our obedience was to show others, you know, if you trust him, he'll take care of it. And not necessarily saying that every everybody that tithes just is able to buy a house. Like, but in that moment that's that was our need and God was able to make it work. You're living out verse twelve. Um I'm gonna sub out nations, but for for our award I think is more applicable to the situation, but then all the people will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful household, a delightful life. And if we weren't like being faithful in that, in that consistency of doing what God asked us to, and when, and when he asks even doing above and beyond like that tithe portion in offering. But if we weren't able to do that, then, um, I don't think that we're effectively being the body that God has called us to be. Tithing is not just about giving on a day, like at, at on a Sunday at the church or clicking the button online. That's it has to be a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Everything that we we do has to to be giving back to God because of what He's given us, and it's not just money. He's given us time. He's given us talents. He's given us abilities and gifts. And if we're not using the best parts of those for for him, we're we're hurting the body, because if we don't give what we're called to give, then other people don't see that, and we don't have like this is part of the story that he's given us, like he gives us he he calls us to this place of being obedient, but it's not just for ourselves, it's for the the local body, for the global body, for the not yet Christians um, as we like to call them. And so tithing has to be, or, or being obedient, being faithful has to be a lifestyle and not just a word that we, like, you know, a, a hashtag, like it has to be who we are because he's been faithful to give his very best. And he's trying to help us, like in this process of being refined, like we talked about last week, if you want to look like Jesus like you have to do things that Jesus does. Like if you want to be refined, you have to be obedient. Jesus was obedient. If I want to look like him and I want him to like get all the impurities out of me, it has to be a lifestyle and not just a term that we talk about and we associate with money. I have a question. What is hindering? So we've seen God do things. We we know that he has taken care of us in the past. Why, like you said, Natasha, like why would we think it would be different this time? I I wonder if we don't truly believe that he is the Lord and he does not change. That that is kind of, because our world is so changing, everything about the world that we live in is constantly changing. And I think we talked about that at our table on Sunday, that, 
that change is inevitable in, in the world that we live in. But because all we see is change, to have faith and to believe that God doesn't change is a harder stretch than to believe that he's going to leave us. That we think this time's different because it's easier to believe that than to believe that he's not, that he does not change. I think in answering that question for myself, and I mean, maybe it would be a question that everybody's going to have to answer for themselves. Maybe answers will sound similar. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it'll be the same for everybody. But I think what you said, Brittany, it kind of hits the nail on the head for me is when I find myself thinking that a situation is different this time than last time and, and finding it hard to believe that, you know, God's provision is going to be there. It's probably related to I have a hard time believing that he's the God that doesn't change because I don't even I like I have no frame of reference to actually know what that looks like. I don't think any of us do. We, we don't understand what it means to not change because all we've ever seen is change. And even even in some of the most like constant or consistent people in our lives, like time changes things, situations change things. Um, even, even when like they continue to remain faithful to us, the expressions of that faithfulness change. And it's just, it's just it, it change, change, it change, change, change. And so for, for me to read the words, I, the Lord do not change. Sure. I, I, I understand those words mentally, Sure, I go, oh, wow, so God doesn't change. But I don't know that I fully understand what that is saying. And so as a result, I think I that's why I find myself struggling at times, believing that the same God that brought us pizza is going to provide in the the situations that I find myself in today. Maybe that's why that's what leads this conversation though, because that's the foundation of it. That's where that's where this whole thing has to start from. Like if if we don't have this foundation that says that God doesn't change and that he is faithful and that we can trust in him, then the rest of this conversation is just impossible to have. Like there's no point in in like saying, you know, test me in this and see that and not um, throw open the floodgates of heaven. There's no point in that conversation because it's all predicated on the reality that God does not change. I think as I wrestle with this question, I wonder if there's not almost some idolatry in the midst of my inability to believe him for provision and faithfulness. So for example, I will... I believe that he will be faithful. What I doubt is that his faithfulness will allow me to continue in the same comforts mm -hmm. and pleasures that I presently enjoy. And the thought of having to make lifestyle changes or to the thought of, of maybe, maybe, you know, my plan, my financial planning for the future doesn't look the way that I had intended, or, you know, maybe I'm 
you know, just a thousand, like a whole myriad of things kind of come to mind, but it, it would seem that there's almost this, okay, I, I trust you, God, but is it, is it going to be good? Cause if your plan's not good, then I don't really know that I can call that provision. And that's what I'm scared of. It's almost like Brittany last week, you brought up the having to be okay with um, like letting go of some of those impurities, not wanting to hold on. And it's kind of like that um, idea. That's, that's what came to my mind. It's, it's some of those impurities that Jesus is going to bring, try to bring out. And if we're not careful, like we'll try to cling on to those because they're, I don't know, comfortable. Like we, whether it's like that bit of control, like if I cling on to this control on the uh, control, like it doesn't look bad on the surface, but, but like this ability to hang on to that, like it, it prevents us from, from Jesus being able to see his reflection in us. And so like, that's hard, but we have to, it's that, that daily choice to, to die that daily choice to, to say like, I'm going to let you have your way. And that can be very difficult. Like we see it within the people of Israel, how difficult it was for them. And it's not like it's any easier today, but. Um, well, and for Jesus, I think as, as you're saying how difficult it is, I think back to the garden of Gethsemane and how right? Jesus is wrestling with God's will. He knows what is best. He knows what provision he has, and it's provision to save the world, yeah. and yet it's going to cost him his life. Right. And so this it's this constant wrestling with, with reflecting God means I have to give up everything, and we live in a time like when we don't want to give up anything yeah the the conversation has you know we we've been talking about tithing but Derek what you were talking about is it's really about obedience not just with the tenth but with the whole and we've talked a lot about this vertizontal living and I think giving up our idea of what our life looks like our idea of what our day looks like our idea what you know what my next next word I should say and, you know, giving it to God and allowing him to speak into us. I think that that's really what this is about. It's, I think it's all about that obedience in every single thing we have, whether it's finances or time or our thoughts. Um, but it's so good because he doesn't say bring, bring all of it to the storehouse so there's so there will be enough food in my temple. It doesn't stop there. Because it says, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And Natasha, like you said, it may not look like we think it ought to look. It may not look like sunshine and rainbows. It may look like, all right, you're gonna have to trust a little bit more this time. You're gonna have to, you know, things are gonna have to move around and you're gonna have to do things a little differently. But the promise is your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Your crops will be abundant. And when I think about crops, it makes me think of the sower and the seeds. 
And I think about those coworkers that, that questioned our tithing. And the important part of that story isn't about what we did with our money. The important part of that story is that there were seeds planted. And five years later, I've not seen the crop, but I know the seed was planted. And we have to believe that, that this is true, that the crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. So Jesus, I believe and I have faith that those crops, those seeds that you've allowed us and are going to continue to allow us to spread throughout our life, that they will be abundant. I think in as we've been talking through this passage and I've been thinking about kind of pieces of it all along in this conversation and hearing what you were just leaving off with Brittany, like, it, it, I, I got the sense that your conversation was moving beyond just you. And as I look at this passage, there's two different things that get my attention. First, it's in like the, the second part of verse eight into verse nine, where the Israelites um, are asking, you know, how are we robbing you? Um, the response is in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So there's like this beginning of this communal understanding of the cost of disobedience. Um, and then you go further and um, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I think that every time I have heard this passage um, preached, I think that every time I have approached this passage, uh, passage, I have approached it from a very individualistic standpoint. And I think I have heard it taught mostly from a very individualized standpoint where it's like, hey, as long as you tithe, like the floodgates of heaven are going to be poured op uh, opened up for you and blessings are going to be poured out on you and you won't have enough room to store it all. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure that I've necessarily seen that played out in my life. But when we recognize and, and maybe change our frame of reference to see not just individuals being addressed here, but a community being addressed here, maybe we can begin to see the fullness of what God is talking about through Malachi. So by that, I mean, like he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And as I read that, and as we were kind of talking through it, the Acts church is what came to mind. Like if you, let me, I'm going to turn to it because I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent or overstate or make anybody think I'm overstating. Uh, in Acts chapter four, verse 32 through oh, 37, like this is, uh, this idea is addressed. And well, I mean, even before that, I guess it's um, Acts chapter two, verse 43 ish. It says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This sounds like there being an abundance and that like 
blessings were available for all who were in need. But then you go further, like so that was Acts 2, you go into Acts 4, it says all believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed um, that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. Um, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them. Uh, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Like, And then it goes on and, and talks about this guy named Barnabas who sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Like, As I'm thinking about this conversation on on tithe as I'm, I'm thinking about this conversation on offering. And I recognize that like, you know, Malachi, this is an old Testament passage and it would be very easy for us to say something like, well, that, that was under the old covenant. We're in the new covenant now after Christ has died. I mean, Jesus even says as he's holding the, the cup at the last supper, you know, this is um, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Right. So, it might be easy for us to say, well, this is an old co covenant conversation. We're in a new covenant time. But the truth of the matter is, like, you see the principles and the ideas of Malachi played out in the early church. Like, you see them bringing the whole tithe and the whole offering into the storehouse. And it's as, more than the whole tithe. Because the tithe, we talked about how is the 10%. Right. So it's, I mean, it's everything. everything. They're, they're bringing everything. And I think this goes to what you were talking about, Derek. Like, it's not just about the 10%. Like, it's it's our life. This is what we give. This is what we offer. And so I think that's why, I mean, maybe in verse, uh, in at the end of verse 8, it, the statement is in tithes and offerings. Like, it, it's everything. And they're bringing that. And as a result of them bringing that, need doesn't exist anymore. Well, even if we take it to like look at Jesus, Jesus gave all, and now we are, are left not needing what we needed under the old covenant. Like, if we just use Jesus as an example, he he was in the New Testament. His life existed in the New Testament. He gave all. That should be our response. And you see that played out in the church in Acts. It's as if they are putting into practice what Jesus has left them with, what, what Malachi brought before him. And so, like, it's, it's perfectly laid out. Malachi talks about giving all, like, that's what God has is, is given him to share. Jesus comes and he gives all. And then the church in Acts gives all. So why should our response be any different today? Our, our response should be, I give it all. It's not mine. And in each of those instances, they reap the fullness of the kingdom. They get to experience its blessings, whether it's having no needy among them, whether it's saving the world from all their sin. Um, it's, it's freedom and it's, it's heaven on earth. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Haggai and Malachi, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast. 
to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.